0: Welcome to this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. We've got a lot of interesting items and interviews for you this month. But as always, let's get started with beer news. Hoodoo Brewing Company in Fairbanks is currently celebrating its 10th Oktoberfest. There are numerous special brews and events taking place until Saturday, October 1st. If you're in Fairbanks, be sure to check things out. We will have an interview with Bobby Wilkin, the brewery's founder and owner, later in today's show. Seward Brewing Company closed for the season on Sunday, September 11th. They'll be back next spring. 49th State Brewing in Healy will be going into its winter hibernation this weekend, with Sunday, September 25th, being its last day open until next spring. After a two-plus year hiatus, Alaskan Brewing is reviving its longtime fan-favorite staple, Winter Ale, hitting shelves this September for its first-ever can run, The winter ale promises to bring uniquely Alaskan flavor to drinkers nationwide in an easy-drinking winter warmer brew. Brewed in the style of an English old ale, the copper-colored brew balances the sweet, heady aroma of spruce tips with the clean, crisp finish of Chinook and Sterling hops. The winter ale boasts a hearty 6.4% alcohol by volume and a mild 22 IBUs, complementing the brew's malty richness and spruce notes with the warming sensation of alcohol. It's the winter ale's use of locally sourced Southeast Alaskan spruce tips which make it unlike any other beer. Spruce tips are a bright green new growth at the end of a branch. The trees hunker down for winter, then in the spring they send out this tender new growth that yields a light citrus flavor when boiled. Alaskan brewing spruce tips come from the small town of Gustavus, just outside of Glacier Bay National Park. Blessed with an abundance of spruce trees and a vibrant community, the entire town takes to the forest to trim the sweet conifer needles from the branches once a year. The use of spruce tips dates back over 10,000 years as a traditional food source for Alaska's First Peoples. Finally, I am currently teaching a class on beer and brewing at Kenai Peninsula College. The class started on Tuesday, September 20th, but it's not too late to join. It's entitled Craft Beer on the Last Frontier and meets every Tuesday evening from 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. at the Kenai River campus in Soldatna. The last class will be on Tuesday, November 22nd. The cost is $50, which includes beer samples in each class and a notebook to record your impressions of each beer tasted. If you'd like to learn more about beer in general and the beers of Alaska in particular, here's your chance. You can register on the KPC website or call 263-0330 for more information. That's it for this month's beer news. Next, we'll have an interview with Paul Wheeler, the owner-brewer of Haynes Brewing Company.
1: Need to make a change? Education is the key. Kenai Peninsula College can help you develop a skill and earn a degree that leads to a new career. Think you're too busy? Earn a degree on your schedule with KPC's online, night, and weekend classes. Compare tuition with other universities, and you'll see that KPC is a great deal. Take the first step and register for fall semester. Call 907-262-0330 for more information.
0: Paul Wheeler, the owner and brewer at Haynes Brewing Company. Paul, how are you doing this fine day, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, Bill. How's the weather down there in Haynes?
1: Oh, it's raining right now. <laughs> typical, typical September <laughs> afternoon.
0: How'd your summer go there in Haynes?
1: Oh, pretty good. Kind of got a little bit slower start at the beginning of the summer, but it kind of, amped up throughout the summer and by August we're looking pretty close to our 2019 numbers and this month looks okay as well.
0: Cool, cool. And you guys had the uh, the Haines Beer Festival back in, in May for the, what the first yeah, time in three years have- or something?
1: Yeah, well two anyways. Yeah, it was good to have that back. We had a sold out crowd again and quite a few uh, beer vendors showed up and a lot of fun. They uh, rearranged the venue a little bit and spread it out more throughout the entire fairgrounds, and, and there was a lot of good feedback on that. It was just a lot more room to roam around and have fun.
0: I hear they didn't have a brewer's dinner, though. I was disappointed to hear that, and that was always the best part, in my opinion.
1: Uh, yeah, me too. That's basically the favorite part for me, and uh, I know it is for a lot of the brewers, um, but yeah, that, when they had to make the decision to get their permit, it was still pretty tight as far as the whole COVID thing, and so they decided not to have the dinner. Does
0: that mean it's going to be back next year? I got a feeling, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I hope so. Well, good. I gotta, I gotta try and make it back down there for, uh, for another. Uh, it's, it's been a while, so I'm, I would look forward yeah. to getting down there again. So other than that, how's everything been going uh, with your, uh, your business? How's your staffing been? That's been one of the big complaints I've been hearing all around the state. People can't get any help at.
1: Well, we're still just the three of us, <laughs> and so we're pretty solid that way. Maybe next year we're looking at a little bit more increase of cruise ship traffic next year, so maybe we'll have an extra um, counter help or counterintelligence or somebody to help fill in on the busier days. But other than that, yeah, we've not had a problem.
0: Have you had any uh, supply issues? I've heard a lot of people complaining about not being able to get bottles, well, scans, not, for the, not for
1: the brewery side. We, you know, we had our, our swag side, you know, t-shirts and hats. We ordered those way back in May, and we finally got our t-shirt order in Couple of weeks ago, at you know, end of the summer, and yeah, little, the hats haven't even late. showed up yet. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but other than that, the grain—I'm going to make a grain order here next week, and so I'll be interested to see what the new prices are. It's going to be a scary awakening, I think. Oh. Wait.
0: Yeah, how's everything else going? You got any? Uh, what are you brewing these days? Anything new and exciting?
1: Oh well, right now we got in the kettle um, a batch of the spruce tip. We're still running uh, plenty of spruce that we've harvested over the last couple of years. But we have uh, a new brew that we brewed for the Beer Fest. I'll have another event and that we call the 34-knot Sweet Gale Ale. Hmm. And it's a Gruet style. Okay. And if you know what a Gruet style is, it's something that happened before the German debut. A lot of breweries and beer was made out of a concoction called Gruet. And uh, the three main ingredients in in a Gruet are um, sweet gale or bog myrtle and uh, Labrador tea and uh, what's the third one, yarrow. And we have all three of those growing right around here. Actually, we harvest the yarrow just right outside the brewery. And so it's a no hop beer. And it's uh, it went so well in the spring when we first brought it out that we had to pull it off the tap line so we had could save some for the beer fest, and uh, we brewed that oh about three weeks ago and uh, it should be on tap here in another week, so looking forward to that. It's a really fun, fun, interesting beer.
0: How does it and, uh... How does it keep? You know, I mean, I know that was one of the reasons they stopped using Gruet and started using hops in the first place was because hop, hops... How does it keep? Yeah, hops help help the beers oh, to keep. Oh, well, it, it doesn't keep very well at all because we drink it all. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, we brewed a, a small batch in the beginning because I had no idea what it was going to be like and if it was going to be a drinkable Style of beer, you know. So we brewed a fairly small batch, and it went fairly quickly. And so this time around, we're we filled the three and a half barrel system up with it, and so it's a full three and a half barrel batch this time, and and uh, so it should last throughout the the winter. But uh, yeah,
2: well that's yeah. Cool. A lot of
1: folks are looking forward to having it come back. And and the other one, if you remember, a few years back, back actually '06. When, across the country, everybody was commemorating um, Benjamin Franklin's 300th birthday. Mm -hmm. And it was called Poor Richard's Ale. Right. And that was a colonial style um, made with molasses and corn and and barley, of course. And, um, well, we liked it enough. Um, Over the years, we started adding spruce, uh, spruce tips to it as well. And that... Became a fairly popular beer, and so we haven't had that on since 2017. And so it was fun to uh, get that going this fall. And uh, actually, we just put it on tap last week, and so got some pretty good reviews on that. And because it's our recipe and not the the national recipe, we had to change the name, of course. Instead of Poor Richard, we call Mm -hmm. it Broke Dick. (laughs) And so it's kind of fun. It's shock for some people to to order it but it's it's pretty fun it's fun beer
0: you were also doing your regular uh yeah. spruce tip yeah, one too, got, which which is one i always really really liked i thought your your spruce tip was one of the best yeah. ones out in the state
1: yeah that's yeah that's basically our our best-selling beer mm-hmm. through the summer months and uh and because of covid we didn't go through as much of it um especially in 2020 and had enough uh supply of spruce tips that we we've been it's been on tap, you know, for the last couple of years and we've not run out of it. And it's looking pretty good this year as well to keep it on tap throughout the winter.
0: Cool. So you got yeah. anything anything else new and interesting coming down the pike? You you doing anything well, equipment wise right. or anything?
1: Well we every year we do uh a specialty with New Zealand grown hops. Mm-hmm. Um, we 've used the Motoeca and uh, the nelson uh, um hop and uh, this year we 're doing the Wakatoo and it's it 's um, it 's a six percent fifty five i b u uh, single hop i p a and uh, it 's pretty tasty we 've been going through it pretty good too
0: yeah i think i i had the uh the Motoku one, when you had that one on, yeah, Motuweka, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that one, that one actually down. has
1: grown. That one's grown popularity throughout the country. I've I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen it on tap, you know, quite a few different breweries. But uh, so yeah, that's actually a really fun fun one to have.
0: So can we expect to see uh, up at Anchorage for the uh, Alaska Bear and Barley wine or whatever we're calling it these days, the the January, yeah. January beer festival?
1: yeah we'll see. Um, it's a little ways off yet, but uh, that's a pretty pretty easy time of year to get away from here. but uh, uh, my issue is crossing the border. Mm-hmm. Um, the last couple of times was uh, pretty iffy, and they want me to have the border Canadian border wants me to have a bond and go through an agency to do that, and looking into it, Jeez, it was quite expensive. To,
0: just to drive, I'll drive on yeah, the highway to, from Haines, huh?
1: Yeah, taking uh, 60 gallons of beer across the Canadian border, they consider that a Ooh, commercial endeavor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I've worked it out in the past where I've been able to ship it with the, uh, with the AK people, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, I'll have to look into it and and see what happens but i'd I'd like to i yeah. haven't been out of haven't been out of haines in two years so it's be be nice to kind of stretch my legs a little bit
0: uh, we'd love to have you up there it's always nice you know that's what i really enjoy at that festival is to to visit with the breweries that i don't get to go to very often you know the ones yeah. in anchorage and here in the valley well let that's, that's just a few hours drive but you know talking to Folks like you and Skagway and uh, you know Juneau and places that are a, a lot harder to get to. Uh, that's that's one of like the high point of the festival for me. So hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to make it.
1: Yeah, so, it would be nice to bring a little more Southeast Alaska up there, <laughs> to show off our stuff. You know.
0: Hey, yeah, and you got really good stuff. So that's you know, that's uh, that's the issue. If you you got to get you onto the. Can get you onto the big stage, so everybody else can experience it. Right. So, so what else you got going on? Anything uh, you making any changes to your equipment lineup or anything like that that you foresee in oh, the near future? not.
1: Yeah, not too much actually. Really, kind of just been on, you know, the whole COVID excuse. You know, just uh, kind of took the wind out of our sails there back hmm. in 2020, and and uh, we're just kind of catching back up now. And and looking into I, I don't know we played around with the idea of, of doing a, a canning line or, or or a bottling. We've done a couple of small experimental um, runs, uh, one with a bottle and one with our can our our 32 ounce can, the big can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, with a couple of different cruise ships, we got a contract with uh, the the Queen Elizabeth. Of the conard line uh which was a lot of fun to do and made up a special label for them and and uh so it was just we're just dabbling in that area a little bit but it's just such a haines is such a unique area where the, the the shipping of anything is just so incredibly expensive i was just looking at the numbers of uh the grain prices over the last six or seven years because we haven't raised our prices in that long a time and the grain prices went up about 15 percent almost 18 percent over that seven-year period and most of it was last year and uh the shipping of that grain on the other hand went up 100 Uh percent and i don't quite understand that but i kind of do but I, i i can't say those words on the radio yeah
0: well i'll Um, say the i'll say uh, the words jones act that that (laughs) thing is designed to stick it to alaska well alaska itself gets
1: hit pretty hard but Haynes gets it hard gets it uh, a double whammy just because we're at the end of the line yeah uh the only shipping company is aml and they just stick it to us Mm -hmm. you know it it cost it cost you know my grain uh cost me 50% Fifty percent of what it costs to brew the beer, the cost of the shipping of that grain. So it's just it's just pretty it's it's hard to do, and so in trying to amp up and do specialty things and do you know like canning or bottling, it's it's you just look at the numbers and it's just really really hard to to see a uh, a payback on it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the world we're Other than that, it's fine. (laughs) We're
1: the the community of Haynes' Brewing Company, you know, so that's that's just fine. Less headaches.
0: Yep. Well, hey, thank you, Paul, for taking the time to talk with us. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you taking the time out.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. It's nice to hear your voice again.
0: Yeah. Hopefully, I'll see you in January, and if not, maybe I'll see you in May down there. Okay. That'd be great. All right. Take care, my friend. Yep. Yep. Bye-bye. Uh, This is Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell. We'll be back in a moment with our next segment.
1: Hello, this is John Jackson, host and producer of Deeper Cuts Radio. Deeper Cuts features an artist, band, or topic. We play great music not often heard, mixing and mingling genre and era, creating a unique playlist for your listening pleasure. Tune in Fridays at 9 p.m. on KDLL 91.9 FM in beautiful Kenai, Alaska.
0: Enjoy. In this month's feature, we'll be talking about the science of the hangover. These days, I seldom drink to excess. Call it wisdom, call it age, but these days, a single beer after dinner is usually all I feel the need of. Of course, in my younger days, such was not always the case. If, like the younger me, you've ever overindulged in the consumption of alcohol, it's likely that you've experienced the medical phenomenon known colloquially as the hangover. Of course, there are other terms used to describe hangovers. Here are just some I managed to find with a few minutes' research online black dog, blue devils, bottle ache, bust head, carpenters in the forehead, crop sick. Gallon distemper, hair ache, gym jams, cats and jammer, morning fog, wooden mouth, and the zings. Given that they're such a widespread health phenomenon, it's perhaps a bit surprising that scientists still don't fully understand the causes of hangovers. They do, however, have a scientific name for them Vesalgia. It's far from clear why, after all traces of alcohol have been fully expelled from your body, you can still experience a load of awful symptoms, including headache, dizziness, fatigue, nausea, stomach problems, drowsiness, sweating, excessive thirst, and cognitive fuzziness. The simplest and most familiar explanation is that drinking alcohol causes dehydration both because it acts as a diuretic, increasing urine production, and because people who are drinking heavily for multiple hours probably aren't drinking much water during this time period. Alcohol keeps your body from producing a hormone called vasopressin, which regulates the amount of water your kidneys can hold. But studies examining the link between dehydration and hangovers have turned up some surprising data. One, for instance, found no correlation between high levels of the hormones associated with dehydration and the severity of a hangover. It's most likely that dehydration accounts for some of the symptoms of a hangover, dizziness, lightheadedness, and thirst, but that there are other factors at work as well. Most scientists believe that a hangover is driven by alcohol interfering with your body's natural balance of chemicals in a more complex way. One hypothesis is that in order to process alcohol, your body must convert the enzyme NAD into an alternate form, NADH. With an excessive buildup of NADH and insufficient quantities of NAD the thinking goes that your cells are no longer capable of efficiently performing a number of metabolic activities, everything from absorbing glucose from the blood to regulating electrolyte levels. But this hypothesis, too, has been contradicted by data. In studies, people with severe hangovers weren't found to have lower levels of electrolytes or glucose in their blood. The most compelling theory, at least at the moment, is that hangovers result from a buildup of acetaldehyde, a toxic compound in the body. As the body processes alcohol, acetaldehyde is the very first byproduct. And it's estimated to be between 10 and 30 times as toxic as alcohol itself. In control studies, it's been found to cause symptoms such as sweating, skin flushing, nausea, and vomiting. These effects are compounded by something called glutamine rebound. As a depressant, alcohol dampens the body's production of a natural stimulant called glutamine. As soon as your drinking stops, your body tries to fix this by making a ton of the stuff. Since most folks do their serious drinking late at night, that means your brain is full of stimulants just as you're getting to sleep. This can make the grogginess of a hangover feel even worse. Hangovers could also be driven by the way alcohol messes with your immune system. Studies have found strong correlations between high levels of cytokines, molecules that the immune system uses for signaling, and hangover symptoms. Normally, the body might use cytokines to trigger a fever of inflammatory response to battle an infection, but it seems that excessive alcohol consumption can also provoke cytokine release, leading to symptoms like muscle aches, fatigue, headache, or nausea, as well as cognitive effects like memory loss or irritation. So why do some people get hangovers more easily? Life, alas, isn't fair. Some people are extremely prone to hangovers and some can drink with impunity. It seems that genetics are partly to blame. Some people, disproportionately those of East Asian descent, have a mutation in their gene for the enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase that makes it much more effective in converting alcohol into the toxic acetaldehyde. Unfortunately, a significant part of this group also has a mutation in the gene For the enzyme that performs the next metabolic step, leading to a much slower conversion of acetaldehyde into acetic acid. As a result, excessive buildup of acetaldehyde can happen quite rapidly. This is known to cause an immediate alcohol flush reaction, colloquially known as Asian glow, but might also play a role in hangovers the day after drinking. Why do some drinks cause hangovers more easily than others? Because the ultimate cause of a hangover is, after all, alcohol, drinks that pack more alcohol into a smaller volume are naturally more likely to give you a hangover. Shots of liquor, in other words, are more dangerous than mixed drinks, beer, or wine. There are other factors that affect who experiences hangovers much more readily. After having the same number of drinks... Women are more likely to experience hangovers than men, though this simply seems to be a result of the fact that women generally have a lower body weight as well. If you control for body weight and compare a man and woman with the same blood alcohol content, their chances of a hangover are similar. There's conflicting evidence over whether hangovers become more frequent with age. Some studies have suggested that adolescents are less likely to experience hangovers, but a recent large-scale survey showed the opposite, that even controlling for total alcohol consumption, drinkers over the age of 40 experience fewer and less severe symptoms. The authors noted that it's possible, though, that they consume the same amount of alcohol but with less intensity, spreading their drinks out instead of binging. Beyond that, though, some drinks happen to have higher levels of congeners, trace chemicals produced during fermentation, that contribute to hangovers. Studies have shown that high congener, darker colored liquors like bourbon and whiskey lead to more severe hangovers than lighter colored or clear liquors like vodka, which has none. A Dutch study systematically looked at the conjugate content and hangover risk of a variety of types of alcohol. It ranked various drink combinations by their conjugate content versus the severity of the hangover produced. The drink with the least conjugers, pure ethanol mixed with orange juice, produced the least severe hangover, followed in order by beer, vodka, gin, white wine, whiskey, rum, red wine, and worst of all, brandy. One particular conjuger called methanol, also known as wood alcohol, found in the highest levels in whiskey and red wine, has received a large amount of the blame due to studies showing that it can linger in the body after all alcohol has been eliminated, perhaps accounting for the enduring effects of a hangover. This incidentally could explain widely held belief that mixing different sorts of liquor can cause a hangover. A greater variety of conjugures could well lead to a wider variety of effects. It can't, however, explain any beliefs about the order of these drinks. Despite the age old adage, liquor than beer, you're in the clear, beer than liquor, you have never been sicker. So how can you prevent hangovers? The most effective solution is also the most obvious. Don't drink alcohol or at the very least, don't drink to excess. If you're set on drinking a fair amount, though, there are certain things you can do to minimize your chance of a hangover and the severity of its symptoms, and they're all pretty intuitive. Don't drink quickly on an empty stomach. Drink slowly, either on a full stomach or while eating. Food doesn't literally absorb the alcohol, but having a full digestive tract slows down the rate at which your body absorbs the drug. Additionally, even though dehydration is only partly to blame, it still plays a role, so staying hydrated while drinking alcohol can help. Finally, try to stop drinking a couple of hours before going to bed. If your head hits the pillow after your body has already started recovering, you might avoid that problematic glutamine rebound and get a good night's sleep. It won't keep you from feeling hungover, but you'll feel a little more human than you would have otherwise. How can you quickly cure a hangover? Is there a superfood slash drink slash ritual that can magically remove the effect of a night spent binge drinking? Well, according to various local legends, you can cure a hangover by eating shrimp. That's from Mexico. Pickled herring. That's from Germany. Pickled plums. That's Japan. Or drinking coffee. That's the U.S. Strong green tea. That one's from China. Or tripe soup. That was from Romania. A number of popular foods and beverages like Bloody Marys, Eggs Benedict, and even Coca-Cola were developed specifically to cure hangovers. Unfortunately, there's absolutely no evidence that any of these homespun recipes do anything to help. There's also no evidence that the so-called hair of the dog technique, that is drinking the morning after, has any effectiveness whatsoever. It might temporarily dull your senses, making you less aware of the hangover symptoms, but it does nothing to resolve the underlying physiological problems. And of course, it can just lead to another hangover. Other drinkers vouch for a variety of seemingly scientific cures, vitamin B or caffeine, for instance, but studies have also failed to show that these provide any relief either. So what can you actually do? You can lessen some of the symptoms with well-known over-the-counter drugs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories such as aspirin or ibuprofen can treat headaches and other pain while you can take stomach relief medications say tums or pepto-bismol to reduce nausea you should not take acetaminophen brand name tylenol because when the liver is processing alcohol it's especially susceptible to acetaminophen's toxic effects you can eat food drink water and rest Some research recommends eating eggs, since they contain 1-cysteine, which helps break down any lingering acetaldehyde. Bananas may help by replacing potassium lost in your dehydrated stupor, and fresh fruit juices or smoothies might give you a sugar and vitamin boost without upsetting your stomach. Drinking sports drinks to boost your electrolytes isn't a terrible idea, and pickle juice is a cheaper alternative. However, whatever you may choose to eat at the moment Time is the only sure cure. If you're interested in learning more about hangovers, in this month's Beer Gear section, I'll be reviewing a book that focuses exclusively on them.
1: Tune in on Sundays from 7 to 9, where I, Josie Oliva, will be your host for Pickled Beats, a radio show that explores obscure subgenres and obvious specific themes, right here on Pickle Hill Radio, KDLL.
0: Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM, KenaiSoldatna. Up next, Brewing Science, where we'll be talking about mash filter presses. Sustainability is fast becoming a major concern across numerous industries, including the craft brewing industry. One of the major areas where brewers are looking to become more sustainable is in their water usage. Water is one of the most important raw materials used in brewing beer. Here's a fun fact. Most beers consist of 92 to 97% water. So what do breweries need water for? There are four major usages. The first is brewing water or brewing liquor, as beer brewers call it. This is the water that is actually used in the brewing process itself. For a typical brewery, this will be 2.7 gallons for every finished gallon of beer produced. Next is process water. This is the water that's required for washing and sterilizing vessels, pipes, and refrigeration. Typically, about 2.1 gallons for every finished gallon of beer produced. Then there is general purpose water, general washing and maintaining the overall hygiene of the site. Breweries use about one gallon of general purpose water for every gallon of beer produced. Finally, if the brewery is steam fired, there will be service water to feed the boiler. Service water comes to about a fifth of a gallon for every gallon of beer produced. Add them all up and it comes to six gallons of water used for every gallon of beer produced by your typical brewery, which illustrates my original point that brewing beer is a water intensive industry. So what can brewers do to be more sustainable and use less water? The last three types of water usage, process, general and service waters are more or less beyond the brewer's control. But what about brewing water? Is there a different way to brew that could reduce how much water is required? The answer is yes, though it involves the purchase of a rather expensive new piece of equipment, the mash filter press. Brewers, it's been said, don't make beer. They make wort. It's the yeast that transforms the sugary liquid into beer, and brewers are mere shepherds once fermentation is underway. While winemakers need only crush grapes and collect the sugary juice, Brewers must liberate the fermentable sugars locked inside the kernels of grain during the mash. This controlled steep in hot water hydrates the crushed grains and allows the enzymatic transformation of starch into sugars before the sweet wort is separated from the leftover grain solids, a process called lautering, and then boil to complete the process. Most American craft brewers and home brewers approach laudering by leveraging an important characteristic of the barley kernels, their fibrous husks. The common laudering practice is to filter the wort by the husks in the grain bed layered on top of the false bottom of the mash or tun. In contrast, the mash filter press mechanically separates the wort from the spent grains with pressure and cloth filters. It's a technique that was pioneered in the early 20th century Belgium by Philippe Meura, and today mash filters are mainstays at large breweries around the world because they facilitate much faster and more efficient brewing. Besides using much less water per batch, the mash filter allows some exciting creative freedoms when designing beers. Brews using 100% wheat are trivial to produce on the mash filter brew house, as is a grist heavy with spelt, rye, oats, or unmalted grains. Grain bills that would give a brewer nightmares about stuck mashes, hour-longs, lauders, and hundreds of pounds of rice hulls, which are often used to stand in for barley husks to improve laudering, are run-of-the-mill at craft breweries with a mash filter instead of a ton. Another major draw of the mash filter system is its extremely high efficiency. 98% or more of the grain sugars can be extracted in the mash, an impressive number compared to our standard homebrew efficiency of 72%, largely because the grain is so finely crushed during the mill-in. Instead of using the roller mill typically used in a brewery to ensure that the grain is crushed uniformly without overly damaging the husks important in lautering, a mash filter uses a hammer mill that turns the brewing grains into a fine powder. The very small particle size is the key to the high brew house efficiency. Let's look at one example of a mash filter. The automated 17-barrel brew house built by Wisconsin's Ager Brewing Systems that is designed with a small-scale Mura 2001 hybrid mash filter at its core. The mash filter itself is a 15-foot long coffin-shaped frame that is connected to the brew house with pipes, hoses, and ethernet cables. Brewers run the system from a master control computer that manages everything from grist hydration to mash temperature steps to post-boil whirlpool speeds. It's a level of automation that, like the mash filter, is usually only seen at much larger breweries. The mash filter frame holds 45 plates that each contain a fine cloth filter and an inflatable membrane. The number of plates used for a brew varies with the size, the amount of grain in the mash, and when arranged in a horizontal stack, The plates create chambers where the actual filtering takes place. The thick mash is pumped into the plates and clear wort runoff begins before the filter is even full. It takes less than 10 minutes to fill the filter with mash. In another 15 minutes, all the mash is transferred out of the mash tun, and the first pneumatic compression begins. The membrane bladders in the plates inflate, compressing the grain beds against the filter and extracting the last of the first wort. As with a typical lauter, sparging comes next and the compressed grain beds are rinsed with hot water as the internal bladders deflate, allowing the filter to fill with sparging water. Once the prescribed amount of sparge water is sent through the filter, the bladders inflate again and compress the remaining sparge water out of the grain beds. After mash out and sparging are complete, the nearly dry spent grain drops from between the filter plates in sheets of dry cake. The whole process takes less than 45 minutes for a 17-barrel batch, saving considerable time and water usage over the traditional process. While many American craft breweries are now investing in mash filter presses, the very first one to do so was our very own Alaskan Brewing Company in 2008. To use a coffee maker analogy, the typical Lauderton is like a drip coffee maker, while the mash press is like an espresso machine. The net result is more efficient extraction of sugar for brewing from the grain using less water. Given its size, Alaskan Brewing represents a significant load on both the water and sewer systems of Juneau. The company is always on the lookout for any steps it can take to improve its sustainability and minimize its impact on the community. As founder Jeff Larson says, We're very aware of our connectivity to the land, to our social fabric, in Juneau. While Alaskan led the way, more and more American craft breweries have chosen to adopt mash filter presses in the last 15 years. As water becomes more and more scarce in the age of climate change, it may well be the smart thing to do. Hi, this is Chef Steve Horn inviting you to
3: join me for the Blues Cafe Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. on KDLL 91.9 FM. New music, old music, my favorites, your favorites, and any music that is good for the body, mind, and soul. Make your reservations to join me on Monday evenings at the Blues Cafe. Thank you.
0: Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host Bill Howell here on KDLL ninety one point nine FM Kenai Soldatna. Up next, we've got an interview with Bobby Wilkin, the owner founder of Hoodoo Brewing Company of Fairbanks, Alaska. Bobby, how are you doing this fine day, sir? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's the weather up there in the Fairbanks? Has winter got to you yet? Uh, no, not quite. It's all it's all uh, you know color change leaves uh,
3: beautiful. Overcast. We got a little frost last night, so uh, that was the first first frozen water we've seen. But it's been a real, real nice, nice fall. So good, good. It's any day now. I'm sure we'll <laughs> see the white stuff, though. So, how's your summer been? Uh, summer's been great. It's been chaotic, and uh, you know, seemingly back to uh, quote unquote normal. So we had all sorts of events, and just uh, yeah, just kind of uh, controlled chaos. So it's been, it's been
0: great. So you guys have your Oktoberfest going on right now, right? Why don't you give some folks some details about what all you're doing? I know you got a um...
3: yeah. We kicked off Oktoberfest on Saturday, so we we always do the same uh, date range as as uh, Munich. So we we uh, tapped the first keg of Oktoberfest at uh, noon on Saturday. Uh, this year, I had my uh, my dad tap the cask. It's our tenth Oktoberfest, so we're coming up on our tenth um, anniversary, but uh, so I have my dad tap the cask at, at uh, noon on Saturday, and then uh, we, we have the brewery all decorated up in uh, you know beautiful Oktoberfest regalia, and everybody's dressing up in their lederhosen and dirndls, and uh, the Oktoberfest lager is basically just flying out the door.
0: So let me ask yeah. you this. Is your Oktoberfest, is it a real Oktoberfest? Is it a Morrison? Have you yeah, it's a, given it's in and Morrison, started yeah. selling a Hells like they do at the Fest now?
3: no we do we do we do a mars and yeah pretty, yeah, pretty dark dark beer, but it's uh it turned out really really great this year, So it's, we try and try and keep it uh we adjusted the recipe quite a bit over the years and then uh and so this year we changed up the yeast it was kind of the only tweak we made this year uh and we're really happy with it. it's really really rich and caramely, but not not sweet it's just nice and crisp and um yeah it turned out turned out great, so uh we're real happy with it.
0: And you do a pretty regular thing where you even over the course of the summer and right where you're tapping a cask, typically like the first first Saturday of the month. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah,
3: right? actually, we do it uh, every Saturday. I think we every Saturday. Uh, every okay. Saturday, at, and we number the casks. I want to say we're up into the four hundreds now. So it's wow. every Saturday for seven or eight years, we yeah we do um, all sorts of all sorts of things. We we'll, we usually fill the cask with um, beer that we kind of have in the cellar and we'll, it's almost an infusion, you know, we'll add spices or fruit or berries or chocolate or um, also really anything we can think of. We'll come up with uh, interesting combinations of things. And so, yeah, that's our, our cask Saturday. So we tap that every Saturday at noon and uh, we got a pretty, pretty loyal uh, cask Saturday following that comes by at, you know, 1159 and <laughs> gets a pint of the cask and it, it's really fun.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it. You said your anniversary is coming up on Halloween, right? Yeah, that's right. Our tenth anniversary. Yep. What do you got planned for that?
3: We are every year we make a, um, a pumpkin ale with you, locally grown pumpkins. You'll so be,
0: you'll you'll be forgiven for that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> uh, we, we've uh, when we first made it, I think we first made it for our first anniversary, and uh, I kind of surveyed all my all my brewer buddies at breweries all around the country and uh kind of asked them what they did for spices and kind of making these spiced pumpkin beers and uh so you know they said oh yeah we use this much per barrel or this much per gallon uh, this kind of spices so kind of took their advice and really took the average of the amount of spices they put in their beers and i cut it in half because usually to me the pumpkin ales are uh way too way too much spice so ours has what I like to think is a perfect amount of spice. And then we, we actually put a uh, little bit of lactose in it. So it's kind of a cream creamy, um, we call it pumpkin pie in a glass. So it's really it still tastes like a great beer, a little bit of pumpkin spice, a little bit of uh, uh, creamy lactose. So this year is no different. We were going to uh, kind of make an imperial version of it for our 10th anniversary. really kind of changed it up a little bit, but... Um, got basically uh we, we decided to not do that we're just gonna make the beer that we we'd love to have it every year and we're just gonna make this the same beer we just are uh going to pick up the pumpkins today uh here in town and then uh we're gonna roast them up and uh we are brewing the beer next week so yeah other than that uh we we just as with any holiday we usually we we spend a lot of time decorating the brewery so the tap room of course, it'll we'll all be decked out Halloween style and uh, and kind of 10th anniversary style and, um, and the beer garden, of course. And other than that, it's, uh, you know, just 10 years of uh, 10 years of beer. Hmm.
0: So you guys uh, f- like fully recovered from a COVID, you know, in the sense of you got all your staffing back to where you wanted it and all those kind of those kind of uh, yeah, in-house I, issues.
3: Yeah, you know, we, we actually didn't really lose, uh, lose much staff. We kind of scaled back when, when, when it all happened, we, you know, had a big staff meeting, like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here, but we may have to kind of lay people off. And, uh, we, when it came down to it, we gave everybody a choice. We just said, you know, we can lay you guys off. We can lay a few of you off because we obviously needed less people and we're trying to save the business at that point. Um, uh, or we can, uh, you know, reduce shifts and kind of split it between everybody. And basically everybody just opted to stay on staff and just work a lot less, which turned out to be just awesome, you know? And then when things, you know, semi opened up a month or two later, we still really had all of our staff ready to go uh, at any time. And then we were at that point canning a lot more. And so a lot of our staff was just jumping on the canning line or wherever they were needed, you know, relatively quickly, uh, we, we kind of needed all of our staff back. Um, So we never, we never really lost them and we still have, Really, a lot of the staff that we had before COVID, they kind of just stuck with us. Yeah. Um, pe- people like to like to work there, so they generally uh, they generally stick around. Which is, we're very, you know, at, anybody that's in business knows that that that's a big blessing. So um, yeah, we have a great staff that that um, has generally stuck right through it. And um, as far as you know, producing beer, uh, yeah, we're basically. It seems like we're back to back to where we were. It seems like we're. And then some, I think this year we'll probably produce more beer than we ever have in a year. So yeah, there's a, in kind of the, the bar chart of our, um, barrelage every year, there's definitely a divot in 2020. Um, but it seems like we're back on the kind of trajectory we were at before, which is just, um, just a nice manageable level and a nice little small brewery and, uh, you know, everybody's happy. So.
0: You mentioned doing more canning have you had any uh, supply issues with getting what you needed what you need in for canning or anything else
3: yeah you know we definitely went through a lot of uh, supply issues with um, cans um, it seems that those have remedied themselves as far as i can see um, i know there was a huge spike in demand for cans during covid but i think you know now that things are you know getting back to normal around the country and around the world then probably the demand for, um, packaged beer has kind of waned a little bit, although there's, there's, I think more, more packaged canned beer is in demand in general, but we've, we've kind of, you know, weathered that storm and kind of did what we had to do to, to get cans. And, uh, it was scary at times, but about, uh, you know, right, right. As COVID was happening, we were doing an expansion, just a kind of a, a little bit more tank space in the brewery and, uh, and getting a new canning line. So we, to get those kind of squeeze those into the brewery, we rented a, um, a building about a block from us and, um, to store grain and cans and, uh, growlers and all the things in. So that building kind of seemed like it was going to be a little too big for us, but, but now we've, now we've kind of dedicated a corner of it just to hold, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of cans. Um, just to kind of secure our supply uh, to make sure you don't run out, you know it's kind of uh-huh. it's kind of a you know hoarding the toilet paper type thing, but um <laughs> it's really just ensuring that we don't run out because you know that's kind of the last thing we would want is to have that be the thing that kind of restricts us from um, canning beer is actually physically not having the the cans so
0: so so you you talked about expanding your canning. What's your distribution like are you still primarily? selling over the counter there at the brewery have you have you spread yeah, we, sped we sold, out into any other package stores or anything we
3: yeah we're still mainly at the brewery um and about a year ago we started to um get into um the Gavora stores around Fairbanks so there's um six six uh, stores owned by the Gavora family so those are uh, Hot Springs Gas, Esther Gas, um Badger Gas, Thrifty Liquor uh Gahora's fine wine and the uh, garden island deli so they they all have uh small liquor stores and they're yeah locally owned so we kind of we had talked with them for years um they've, they've been really trying to get our cans in their stores so w- once we got um, the new canning line uh rolling we decided to uh to get our cans into their stores and um and so now, now people all around Fairbanks, you know, everybody's really jazzed about that because it used to be, you know, if you want your four-pack of Kolsch, you know, you got to go in the small window when we're open at the brewery. But, but now they're now it's kind of spread out around town, and you can get it, you know, essentially all hours of the day. So that's been going really well for us. We're also out in uh, there's a, a Fox General Store, so out out in Fox, uh, we also have our beer out there. There's another uh uh package store in Fairbank's called the garage so it's a it's a drive through um liquor store so you pull into the garage and uh they grab whatever you want and put it in your car for you and uh and you pull out the other side it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting concept but uh and that was uh they opened well before covid but i think they were very very busy during covid yeah um, not bad. But they're, <laughs> it was kind of uh they, Good they uh, timed that perfectly right. yeah. But uh, so we should have our uh, cans in there uh, uh, kind of any day now they're, they're going to put our cans in the shelf. So we're just we're just kind of uh, slowly, you know, as we normally do, just kind of bit by bit, just uh, challenging ourselves a little bit more. But always uh, trying to ne- not get ahead of ourselves and just to, you know, in- enjoy, uh, enjoy life, enjoy the business and um, and uh, keep it to uh, keep it as uh, kind of a just lifestyle. Have a great time. Raise the kids. Run the brewery all that stuff. So whenever we go down to, uh, Anchorage, we, uh, we will bring a load of beer. Usually La Bodega will uh, make a big order. Uh, so we'll bring some beer down. Um, I think I'm coming down there in a few weeks, so we'll probably uh, try and get some more beer down into the, into South Central a little bit. Um, but other than that, you know, it's just, uh, just that's about it. We're not not trying to uh, really take over the world, just kind of a little bit by bit and yeah, having a good time doing it.
0: Not trying to take over the world, just Fairbanks, right? <laughs> yeah, just Fairbanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll see you down in Anchorage for the uh, big uh, January festival again, right? Yep, absolutely. We'll definitely be there. Yep. Cool, cool. Well, hey, Bobby, thank There's you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah,
3: no problem. Anytime.
0: Everything keeps a uh, rock along for you guys up there. I I have no idea when my travels will next take me up there, but uh, I definitely we'll uh, be swinging by whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Come by. I will uh, gladly have a beer with you. (laughs) All righty, my (laughs) friend. Take care. Thanks a lot. Okay. Yep. Take care, Bill. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment.
2: Howdy, folks. This is Murphy from the Veritas Variety Review. Check us out Saturdays, 7 to 9 p.m. every single week for good music, free high fives, and good vibes. Catch you then.
0: In this month's beer gear, the first item I'd like to call to your attention is another newly released book. It's titled The Botany of Beer, an Illustrated Guide to More Than 500 Plants Used in Brewing by Giuseppe Caruso. This book is a comprehensive and beautifully illustrated compendium of the characteristics and properties of the plants used in making beer around the world. The botanical expert Giuseppe Caruso presents scientifically rigorous descriptions accompanied by his own hand-drawn ink images of more than 500 species. For each one, he gives the scientific classification, common names, and information about morphology, geographical distribution, and habitat, and cultivation range. Caruso provides detailed information about each plant's applications in beer making, including which of its parts are employed, as well as its chemical composition, its potential toxicity, and examples of beers and styles in which it is typically used. The book also considers historical uses aiding brewers who seek to rediscover ancient and early modern concoctions. In all honesty, for most casual beer aficionados, this book goes into way more detail than they will find interesting. It's more for the hardcore beer lover or adventurous brewer, either commercial or home. That being said, it's a lovely book, hardbound and very nicely illustrated. I'm proud to be able to add it to my beer library. It's available on Amazon for $35 a copy. The second item I want to mention is also a book, and it ties in very nicely with this month's feature about hangovers. It's entitled Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for the Cure by Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. It was published in 2018, but I just discovered it. Cutting through the myth and the rumor, This book explores everything from polar bear swims to saline ivy drips to the age-old hair of the dog to let us all know which ones actually work. And along the way, Bishop Stahl regales readers with stories from humanity's long and fraught relationship with booze and shares the advice of everyone from Kingsley Amos to a man in a pub. It's well-written and enjoyable and concludes with the author's own hangover cure, which may or may not work for everyone, but which does represent a heroic research effort on his part. The book is available in paperback or Kindle for under $8 on Amazon. Well, that's it for this month's show. It's time to wrap with our closing quote. This month's closing quote comes from Robert A. Heinlein, the Dean of American Science Fiction Writers, who said, Be wary of strong drink. It can make you shoot at tax collectors and miss. Until next time, cheers.